Okay, uh, this is the second episode of the Moguls and Mages podcast. I am Dan. I still know just about nothing about Final Fantasy XIV, although I do know now about the Hure and the Tricky Mikote. <laughs> I am joined by my co-host Cody, who knows a lot about Final Fantasy XIV. Hello. And I believe we were talking about the Lala Fell today? Yes. Uh, so... Today we're going to be talking about everybody's favorite tiny people. Mm, yes. Um, they, they are wonderful. Uh, th- there's a lot going on with the Lalafell that you would not expect. So I'm going to go ahead and just send you just a picture so you just know. These are the Lalafell. Okay. Little fellas. So what I'm looking at seems a lot like what I would describe to be anime hobbits. <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess. It's like hobbits, but what if they were just really cute? Except, if you just think of them as that cute race, you're gonna get dead. Oh, really? The Lalafell are... They're interesting. They they do some stuff. But, as much as I want to just dive right into talking about them and what they... Like, the, the notable people, I'm gonna actually start with their names... Okay, go ahead. And how their names work, because, like, they're really interesting, and I feel like if you understand the naming idea, then it'll make some of their names seem a lot less weird. Hmm. So your Lalafell are broken down into two types, just like the rest of them, right? You got Plains Folk, and you got Dunes Folk. Dunes Folk. So, for Plains Folk, Plains Folk men names follow a pattern. Of A, B, C, B. So, take the example here of uh, Zorito Manarito. So, (laughs) Rito is the B, right? So, you go A, B, Zorito, C, B, Manarito. Hold on, can can you write this down for me? I'm just not getting it. (laughs) Here. I'll just copy what I'm looking at to remember it for you. Because wh- what I'm hearing sounds like Mamma Mia Dorito. <laughs> Alka Zolka. Yeah, so, so, yeah, so if you break it down into just, like, the Ka is the B part of the naming okay, scheme. Okay, gotcha. So, A-B, Alka, C-B, Zolka. Okay, so the second part of it is, is going to go together. Right, 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 right. Right. And the females have a similar thing, but theirs is A-B-B-A-B. So their names sort of have this repetition to them. Like, Mimomo, Mimo. <laughs> and, and this is where you'll see, like, this is the, the Sultana. Her name is Nanamo Namo. Okay, now hold on. You say if you mess with them, you get dead. You catch a serious case of dead. Now... <laughs> Surely, looking in to the Lalafell from an outsider's perspective, this cannot be an easy thing to, to pick up on. You know, the, the, these sounds don't seem very intuitive for the way that you speak. <laughs> now, if you mess up pronouncing the Sultana's name, are you in danger at all? Or are they pretty forgiving? The, the Sultana is really chill. But I, it wouldn't shock me to see some of the other Lalafell we'll talk about 
uh, actually take offense, especially because like mm. a lot of the males will usually use their full name when they introduce themselves. So they're like, I'm telling you my full name. Get it right. <laughs> you know, kind of going back to D&D real quick from the last episode, it's funny to me how you'll do the same thing in D&D, you know, like, I'm Zardric Swifthorn. <laughs> but no one talks like that in real life. <laughs> you know? These guys do. But but these guys do. I, I guess they're just that confident. Yeah, I, it could just be a cultural thing, too, because I, I think it's just... It seems like it's really just plainsfolk males mm-hmm. that always introduce themselves with their full name. Dunesfolk kind of... Well, a lot of the Dunesfolk we run into are, like, a higher-ranking person, so it feels like they do that because they're like that. Oh, okay, I could see that. You know, don't, don't get me mixed up with someone who's a lower rank. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I am the, insert Lalafell name here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and yeah, Dunes folk have a similar naming thing. Um, the males are more rhymy in the Dunes folk thing. So there's is uh, A-A-B-C-C-B. Uh, so, like, an example here is Jaja Riku, Nana Riku. <laughs> you had to choose Jaja. Jaja. <laughs> Misa Jaja Riku. <laughs> <laughs> Just a tiny little Gungan. <laughs> but a high-ranking official. <laughs> uh, females do the same thing. A-A-B-A-B. Okay. So, so. so, from what you're saying, you know, Dunes folk, I imagine that they're coming from a desert region. Yeah. So... Uh, what, what you got is plains folks start out sort of everywhere, right? They're they're like your more widespread Lalafell race. Um, they're a lot less distinct, I feel, because they're they're so like everywhere. Mm-hmm. They don't go to a region called Curthus because um, it's just too cold. Oh, <laughs> the Lalafell okay. don't like cold. Uh, so you don't really see a lot of Lalafell up there, mm-hmm. but in, like, basically every other city, you're probably going to find some Lalafell. Oh, okay, so really well um, spread out. Yeah. Uh, some notable traits about the Plains folk is that they are fast. <laughs> um, all Lalafell are fast, but the Plains folk are fast. <laughs> <laughs> These dudes sprint. And they jump. So you're telling me, I, I, I was wrong, they're, they're not anime hobbits, they're anime dwarves. The natural world <laughs> sprinters. <laughs> Dude, okay. My character is a Rugadin, right? A max height Rugadin. Mm-hmm. A Lalafell standing vertical comes up to, like, my shoulder. Oh. They're jumping, like, seven feet in the air. Dear lord, man. Yeah, so so they they will happily just like jump onto your face. The thing about Lalafell too is it's easy to discount them and be like, oh, they're they're tiny. What are they gonna do? But the Lalafell are every bit as like strong as some of the other races. I'm I'm assuming because of their ability to channel ether, right? Um, like there's a lot of notable Lalafell marauders. Which are, they wield, you know, huge two-handed axes. Um, hmm. They're strong. 
don't don't write off a lalafell because they're small right and and like you mentioned channeling aether doesn't necessarily mean throwing fireballs it can just mean you know physical enhancement mm-hmm. okay. although lalafell do make natural mages so they will chuck fireballs at you <laughs> the dunes folk though these guys are more interesting i think hmm. so the dunes folk uh po- most exclusively populate a city called ulda yeah i think i remember you mentioning that that, that was more on the southern region of the map yeah it's where the desert is it's actually where roban is this is what ulda looks like um it's where the sultana is uh and you would think that ulda is actually ran by the sultana but that's really not true. Okay. She's sort of like the Queen of England, where she's more of a figurehead. Uh-huh. Um, Ulda is largely run by something called the Monetarist Syndicate. It's just wealth. Okay, now, real quick, this is a fascinating city. You know, looking mm. at the artwork, it seems very ornate and golden and very sprawling. Mm-hmm. However, it's, it's barren on the outside of the gates. You know, there's just no green here. Yeah. Thanalan is mostly a desert with sort of sparse uh, sparse greenery around it. Mm-hmm. Um, the closer you get to uh, an area called the Black Shroud, uh, there will be more trees and stuff. But yeah, Thanalan is pretty sparse. And wh- who did you say was really operating the city? Uh, the Monetarist Syndicate. Monetarist uh, Syndicate. Okay. Yeah. It's it's run by money. Like, Roban is the head of the Immortal Flames, right? And that's mm-hmm. the standing army. But the standing army isn't really more powerful than just the local, like, private military called the Brass Blades. Okay, yeah, I, I see that. that from the artwork, it looks very brassy. Now, now, race-wise, what what do you find inside of the city? A ton of Lalafell. Mostly the the Dune folk. Mm-hmm. Okay, but there are other races there now because the city is such a prosperous place to go for um, business. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of drawn everyone. It's actually also drawn a bunch of refugees from various cities. Okay, yeah. And it didn't really work out that well for them. There's a bit of a slum outside right now mm. where the there's just a bunch of people being taken advantage of. Because the Lalafell are ruthless businessmen. Oh, really? Um, <clears throat> there's a point in the story where one of them straight up has the Sultana assassinated. Oh no! Wait, wait. So the same sultana or a previous one? Oh yeah, the same one. So okay, so that was just an attempt on her, right? Well, it's complicated. <laughs> uh, it turns out that it was a fake assassination, uh, intended to sow some chaos, reduce her power, and uh, frame the warrior of light for her death. 
Whoa. Okay. So, so the warrior of light gets thrown into all sorts of international politics. Oh, we we become a political like exile essentially. That's the setup for the uh, Heavensward expansion. We get driven out of uh, uh, out of Eorzea essentially on uh, false crimes. Okay. Gotcha. Um, wow. But yeah, she's she's not dead. Uh, it was fake. They they basically just drugged her and then used her absence to seal their power in the city, mm. the monetarists. It was, if I'm not mistaken, it was done by a guy named uh, Telegi Adelegi. <clears throat> he's uh, a member of the syndicate. Okay, so, uh, he's so... dead now. Okay, okay um, War- Warrior of Light took care of that business. Roban took care of that business. Oh, our dude. Yes, Roban. Roban split that little fella in half. <laughs> well, you know what? That makes sense. You look back at the picture with Roban and Sultana, <laughs> and boom. Well, I, I guess the Sultana is the way of saying it. And you know, he's not going to let anyone hurt her. No. <laughs> you, you don't touch the royal big man's. <laughs> yeah no absolutely not absolutely not so interesting thing about roban too he's actually on the monetarist syndicate that makes sense yeah yeah um he's one of only three non-lalafell so half the syndicate is all lalafell wait how how many people are on there six okay so wow yeah yeah, that that's pretty roban and godbert uh, Godbert Manderville oh. are both on the syndicate. <laughs> of course, Godbert's on here, the richest dude <laughs> on the planet. Can <laughs> uh, his be quit in the desert? And uh, Teleji, the guy who mock assassinated the Sultana, he, he's on there. Um, another Lalafell named Lolorito Nanarito is on there. It turns out it was actually his doing for the fake assassination. He knew that Roban would kill Teleji, thereby removing another person from the syndicate and further cementing his power within the board. Okay, yeah. So, so this is like some like Game of Thrones layering of Lolorito <laughs> playing games to make himself more powerful. Man, now talking about the city real quick, how how do they make their money here is it mostly traveling merchants bringing goods in and just a lot of trade up from that all right it's a lot of trade because i know that you've got airships in final fantasy 14 mm-hmm. yeah we do um Ulda has several guilds within it that cover various trades so there's uh, tailors there's miners goldsmiths and then on top of that they also have you know just the monetarists have their hands in all kind of businesses around Eorzea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they have the Blood Sands, that gladiator guild that Roban was a part of. Uh, yeah, he owns it now. Wait, who, who owns that now? Ro- Roban? Roban. I uh-huh. like that. He, uh, he, he basically won an extremely valuable match and mm-hmm. used those winnings to both get himself on the syndicate and by the blood sands itself now the blood sands were these more barbaric or, or or grim before he did this like did did he change the culture yeah 
Because I, I don't think they use it to kill criminals anymore. <laughs> oh, so that, that was the purpose of it before it was more it for was it. It was very much a gladiator arena. Okay, for punishment, executions, entertainment. Mm-hmm. for And show. Right, right. Okay, so now it's, now it's more akin to WWE. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, people definitely still get hurt. And some people definitely still get killed. But that's not the point. Right. It's it's all about that message that's changed, you know. Mm-hmm. Now it's more about making. Now it's all about the seven dollar hot dogs and the eight dollar beers there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, speaking of Lalafelt, he actually adopted one. His uh, his servant when he was a gladiator uh, was a little guy named Pippin, because they're hobbits. <laughs> right, right. Um, I believe his name was Pippin Tarupin. But yeah, he he wound up adopting him after the uh, after he got out of the blood sands, mm-hmm. and now Pippin is uh, fairly high rank within the um, Immortal Flames. Yeah, he he got lucky getting paired up with Robon. Pippin's a badass too. So, like when Robon gets his arm cut off, he actually gives Pippin one of his swords. Uh, <laughs> And because Pippin's so small, he really wields it like a two-hander. Right. But, yeah, Pippin's <laughs> great. He He's basically taken over for Roban in leading the Immortal Flames at this point. Sorry, I just got confused for a second. I thought you were going to say that Pippin offered Roban his own arm, and I pictured Roban with <laughs> a tiny little Lalafell arm. <laughs> Roban with a baby arm! <laughs> a oh, that would be arm. amazing. <laughs> that, that makes a lot more sense. Roban only needs one sword now. He doesn't need two. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of times... The Lalafell are behind a lot of the, like, machinations. Like, the the smaller scale um, minor villains or crime or whatever. Mm -hmm. There's probably a Lalafell involved somewhere. Because what they lack in size, they make up for in uh, being just conniving. Do you have any other races that are like this that really play so much of a part in politics or or play so much of a part in the way the economy operates in New Orzea? Uh I mean I feel like Ulda really dominates. Um Limsa Lamensa to a lesser degree, uh being that it's a pirate town. Mm-hmm. And uh they they do a lot of pillaging of they're all privateers now. But they're they're not quite on the scale of Ulda. Ulda is really like it, it is a driving force behind like Eorzea's economy on the whole. Okay, so so Ulda is within Eorzea, right? Mm-hmm. Now, yes. is Eorzea like a federation of the different races or is it a kingdom? Uh it is an alliance. Uh it's it's a collection of five nation states now, might be six. I, I lost track. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Uh, but every time we basically go liberate someone, we invite them to join the Aorzean Alliance. Okay. So the the state the, the different cities themselves are all self-governed. Mm-hmm. Aorzea doesn't really have a unified governing body, but they all back each other up. Okay, so like you said, it's more of just an alliance between the different nations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think that they they would actually ever follow a singular leader 
the the different regions are far too culturally different right right so it's like a new Yorkian union the the eu if you will (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 it is is the eu you're right you're right the Yorkian union i like it okay cool so so that makes a lot of sense i mean if you've got one town old old dune right old old uh old have so much money compared to all the other nations I, I can only imagine that you know especially with such a for lack of a better word conniving uh group of politicians <laughs> you wouldn't have them uh, getting their fingers dirty with you know bribes and and, and trying to get things done in other nations to better Ulda. yeah yeah definitely okay so just just because they're part of the union doesn't mean that they're necessarily you know doing everything they can to help the others they're still trying to get a little ahead yeah it's it's an interesting thing because <clears throat> with old in particular uh whenever there's something that requires the aid of other city states like if, if old were called upon it's the immortal flames that would go join mm. not the brass blades Right. So the monetarists, even though they're running the show, they aren't really like losing much. Mm-hmm. They're not the ones that are that are pledging a shit ton of their support to to making uh, things happen. Though their wealth is very useful, um, we we did need some of that money for for getting other uh, city states in our uh, in our alliance like we we used it to help liberate doma mm. okay and got them in and without the massive wealth of old i doubt that would have gone quite as well gotcha so so i'm assuming we're gonna go into that at a later time uh if if i had the lore books i could probably talk more about like the founding of the city and more stuff like that but okay. um I don't have that information right now. Okay, so, so in a later <laughs> episode we can talk about that. Yeah, sure. Now, sure. With the, the the royal flames, right? Mm-hmm. Royal, immortal flames. Immortal flames, thank you. So the immortal flames, they fight under Roban, correct? Mm-hmm. Is, is he their only real guidance? Like, their only leader? Uh, he's the, the commander of them. No. Where do they come from, and who funds them? I have no idea. I'm assuming that that a lot of the stuff is sort of like... I don't know if they're self-sufficient at mm-hmm. this point. Um, but Roban is extremely wealthy, so... Mm, gotcha. I don't know if it's his personal army, but... The, the Sultana also, she they, they have the money of the Sultanate behind them. Um, okay, gotcha. So they're sort of like a pseudo royal army. Mm-hmm. Okay. Although within Old Da there is another set of royal troops, uh, much smaller, called the Sultan's Sworn. <laughs> so they have a, there's a big military in Old Da. And then I, I just keep picturing they're all so little compared to like the the Rugadin, just people three <laughs> times their size getting their butt whooped from these little aether channeling hobbits. Yeah, man, <laughs> they're all jacked up on ether and they're gonna mess you up. <laughs> the like... the Lalafell actually like their, I guess ruthlessness in battle kind of extends even outside of the plainsfolk and the dunes dune, the dunes folk. There's 
an ancient civilization mm-hmm. called Nim, and it uh, it's it's fallen now. I believe it fell either during or before the War of the Magi. War of the uh, Magi. We'll talk about it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Literally ended the world. Oh. Literally ended the world. Oh, that's right. Um, I forgot that they basically nuked the world at one point. Yeah, they, they caused a great flood through uh, massive etheric imbalances by uh, just casting magic all willy-nilly. Okay, that, that's not even what I was thinking of, because I, I I remember hearing something about Behemoth ending the world. Okay, so there, there, there's some pretty big cataclysmic There events. have been eight calamities? Seven calamities now? Oh no. Eorzea is not a not not the best place to live a long life. <laughs> Jeez. And from what you're telling me about with all the stuff that happens in in the game being within a year, I, I can picture that this wasn't a super long time frame for the eight calamities. <laughs> uh you know, it it's been I think some of them are literally thousands of years old oh, oh, at this point. Okay, so um, some of it's just ancient lore. It's not like the world's ending every week. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we leave that to World of Warcraft. <laughs> uh, so, Nim, right? Nim was a nation of, I believe, either all Lalafell or mostly Lalafell. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were renowned for their military they had the marauders which were they called them the nimian marines and they were the front line right just a bunch of axe wielding lalafell hmm and their back line were what we call scholars and you'd think oh scholars you know they're studying they're smart they're, they're not violent or they're there for tactics scholar tactics involves Yes, battle tactics, um, formations and the like, Uh but also spreading ancient, contagious, and extremely dangerous diseases. Oh no! That's that's not tactics, that's war crimes! (laughs) So, (laughs) like, as a scholar, some of your abilities include bio or bio 2, and these, or, or miasma... And these abilities in their descriptions mention that they're dealing damage over time because your opponent's lungs are failing. Wow, that's really dark. Yeah. I mean, it's, so it's one thing to be fighting it, it someone was... with a fireball, but but to mm-hmm. go with the, you know, the, the sort of necromancer, you know, I guess evil druid disease route, that's so... <laughs> scary to yeah. think about being in that in that mm-hmm. position especially with a yeah, line of nimian warriors charging at you it's funny too because they're one, one of the iconic things of a scholar is is forming this little ethereal pact with a fairy a fairy and you, you they have these tiny little fairies and they'll hang out with you and they cast heels on your allies and they're just really just a benevolent force while this dude is crippling you with turbo pneumonia. <laughs> wow. Okay. So the these fairies, they're they're not the source of the power. That that's them channeling the mm-hmm. aether, right? Right. Uh, scholars actually function based off of a 
they're an uh, advanced class based off of the Arcanist. And Arcanists essentially kill you with math. Oh, uh, okay. Got, no, no, I, I totally get this. Real quick. So in, in D&D, mm-hmm. one of my favorite things is looking at the different magical systems and how they operate away from each other. You know, For yeah. example, you've got a warlock who bargains something with a patron in exchange for power. And it's they didn't study for this. It was just given to them, and they now know how to do it. But with wizards in D&D, you have to study for years and years, and it's the, the subtle manipulation of the fabric of time and space, knowing that the, the chanting of these few words mixed with moving your hands and these certain gestures and prof, you know, offering these, these certain items can create this change in reality. Now, are the Arcanists basically that? Yeah. Uh, they, they create these magic circles and stuff using what they call arcane geometry. Mm-hmm. And then you just channel ether into that pattern, and it does stuff. Oh, so that's a very fascinating difference. So they, mm. they set up the circle as the sort of uh what um pylon i guess or 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 start of the magic and then they just can naturally channel aether just because that's almost like a sixth sense exactly and they just pump it through that channel yep cool i love that they actually carry books their their primary weapon is an arcane tome Mm -hmm. so they just the pages are just filled with different arcane circles and you just flip to the page you want and channel some magic okay and then i assume different ones would require different amounts of aether to be channeled Mm -hmm. yeah they can even create like pseudo life with this like that's what a uh the the fairy or a carbuncle uh like the summoner it's just a little bit of your ether and you put it into a uh into this formula and it creates a little living thing it's not like truly conscious but it's got a little bit of you that sparked it to life right. it's it's like a, a organic artificial intelligence hmm yeah that's super neat so the uh are you familiar with tonberries from final fantasy i am not oh okay okay let me show you this guy A Tonberry is an iconic Final Fantasy enemy. It's basically a tiny turtle. Except it doesn't have a shell. Oh. And they carry a big old knife and a lantern. And they basically just walk at you really slowly. But God help you if they get close. Wait, really? They they have, in FF14, they have an attack called a throat stab. <laughs> that is their, their primary attack. No, oh, oh, uh, before you go any further, to anyone that's <laughs> listening to this, <laughs> this is one of the cutest things that I've ever seen in my life. It looks like a little green worm man wearing a big fluffy robe, and he looks like a stuffed animal holding a lantern <laughs> and what could be confused with a dagger. 
Uh, yeah. They're ruthless. No, wait, so... If they get close to you, they just stab you to death. Golly! Now, are, are they big? Or are, are they little? They vary. Uh, in FF14, there are some that are really big. Let me find an image of him really quick. So, how do these guys relate to the Arcanists and the and the magic? So, Nim fell to a plague. Was it a plague of throat stabbing? It was a plague that turned them into tonberries. Oh. So, they were consumed by wrath and rage, and it cursed them to turn into this. There is the Tonberry Stalker from uh, a dungeon called Wanderer's Palace, which is uh, a ruin of the kingdom of Nim. And that's a Makota standing beside it. So it's just like a giant blob person wearing a robe. They, they look like they're 20 feet tall with that lantern. Mm-hmm. They have a little tail with a fin on it, which is why I kind of feel like they're almost turtly. But, uh, yeah. Um, maybe amphibious or something? Yeah, yeah. And he, he basically will pursue you through sections of the dungeon like, like, like Jason. He just moves really slowly. Oh, no, I just saw he's got the knife! He's got a big-ass knife. <laughs> that's not, like, a combat dagger or anything. That That's a kitchen knife. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ooh. And if they get close to you, they will stab you with it. And I imagine that does a boatload of damage. It's a guaranteed critical hit. <laughs> um... In older Final Fantasies, because these are not exclusive to FF14. Mm -hmm. Tomberries are in a whole bunch of Final Fantasies. In, in a lot of the older ones, it is just instant death. Wow. You usually have like four or five turns to kill them before they get to you. So it seems like a, a, a Tonberry, you said? Mm-hmm, Tonberry. It, it seems like Tonberries are almost like figures of death in this world. They're scary. They've got the iconography with holding the lantern, the the robe that has that that hood that they can put up. Yeah. Or maybe it's iconography they, of tiny grim reapers. Or or maybe just tiny mass murderers. Yeah, you know, either <laughs> one really. So Yeah, so so like those guys used to be Lalafell. That was within them the whole time. So where did this plague come from? Do we know? I actually don't know. I, I think it was a bioweapon during the War of the Magi. Oh, okay. Something crafted up um, through magic. There, There's a whole quest chain about it. Uh, I'm just a little rusty on the details. But uh, when we talk about the War of the Magi, I will definitely do my research about it. Oh, yeah. That sounds like an incredible event. Oh, the War of the Magi is really cool. There's some really cool stuff in it. Wow. Okay, cool. Um, so, as far as notable Lalafell, right? You, you've got the the ones I've already mentioned, Telegi Adelegi, the douchebag from uh, the Monetarists. You've got Pippin. You've got the Sultana. Mm -hmm. um, the Warrior of Light's party. Uh, they're called the Scions of the Seventh Dawn. They, mm. uh, they're personal clerk 
Her name is Tataru Taru. She's been shown to be a bit of a ruthless businesswoman herself. <laughs> I think she's the only reason that the scions are not broke. <laughs> Saving lives and cleaning pockets. <laughs> like, at this point, she has her own private airship. Whoa. Um, yeah, that we use to travel sometimes now, Wait, now so now, that's pretty cool. Hold on, so the Warrior of Light, you've mentioned this, I think, in the last episode, too. So you've got a party of, of NPCs mm-hmm. that travel along with you? Yeah, uh, we they're called the Scions. They're members of uh, a group called the Students of Beldesian. Um, and they're from a scholarly nation called Charlayan. Okay. And right. uh, these guys are dedicated to the betterment of Eorzea. They they study primals and the threats to the world, and they're they're built to combat them. Now, primals, I'm assuming, are essentially like forces of nature. Um, they're less natural than that, but they are that in practice. They're sort of element-given form. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. But it's a lot to cover right now. They're definitely worth their own episode. Okay. Wow, so it seems like even just the, the, the scions are more than just scions. They're part of their own nation. They're, they're, they're students of, you said, Bedesia? Students of Baldessian. Baldessian. The, the Scions operate independently as well. They're not really beholden to any one nation. Okay, now are they all from that, that one place and, and all students of Baldessian? Uh, I believe that uh, almost all the original Scions are. Actually, I think all the original Scions are. I mean, Taru's not. Tataru's not. Uh, the Warrior of Light's not. But everybody else, I believe, is. I want to say that they all hold, all but the twins, hold the rank of Archon as well. Huh. Okay, I feel like we need to uh, dedicate some time to go into... Who, They're who, worth talking about. Yeah, who the members of the party are and, and their backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Because I've been kind of mentioning them briefly in some of these episodes. Mm-hmm. Like Yishtola. Right, right. Yishtola's a scion. There is a Lalafell scion... Uh, he's not alive anymore. Uh, he actually sacrificed himself uh, when we were fighting a primal. Mm. His name was Papalimo. But I, I think my favorite Lalafell here is not actually technically a Lalafell. Okay, go ahead. Um, she's based on the race from Final Fantasy XI called the Taru Taru. Uh, and they're basically the same thing. They're just little people with... Hey, look, they're the same thing. Okay, little people, big <laughs> magic? Yeah, she's got the biggest magic of all. <laughs> okay. So Her name is Shatoto. And she... She speaks in rhyme. She has an anime laugh. Uh, she does like the the like oh ho 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 laugh, you know the Ojo Sama <laughs> right. laugh. Yeah, she she does that laugh, and she's obscenely powerful. Um, she's like the progenitor of black magic. Uh, she invented the spell meteor. Whoa! 
uh, the Black Mage Limit Break. <laughs> no, is that the one that you showed me? Yeah, where you just, like, raise your hands in the air and a huge meteor falls from the sky. Slap down the staff. I'm done with you. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's her. Uh, Shentoto, she's insane. I wish she was from FF14, but she's only appeared in crossover stuff and in the uh, Black Mage questline. Oh, okay, so she only appears briefly, and that that's why we don't really mm-hmm. have much info on why she's kind but of... There, but not... there's references to her there with with her, um, like her weapon, the Stardust Rod. Uh, it was forged from a shard of the meteor she dropped. <laughs> oh, uh, no. Th- this is Shentoto. wait why is she so gigantic because she can make herself big (laughs) she said i'm tired of being tiny i want power i am big (laughs) when we fight her in ff14 you fight a giant puppet that she created that's just wandering around eorzea wreaking havoc and she's just riding on its head and cackling what? Okay, so is she evil? She is hard, true, neutral. <laughs> now, Cody, I have to tell you, from this picture, she looks like anything but neutral. Shantoto will help you just as quickly as she will curse you. As long as she gets something out of it, and it's fun. Oh, no. she sounds like a genie or something. You, you know, it's, you gotta ward yourself carefully whenever you ask for help. Otherwise, okay, now now she turned my foot into a banana, and now I have to just walk backwards forever. Yeah, uh, apparently she is uh, roughly two feet tall. When she chooses to be. Yeah, like it's just Shantoto is small and terrifying. So, do we know how she is this? powerful is it an artifact she has i have no idea there there's probably a lot of of lore about that in ff11 she's a, a fairly major character okay gotcha so we, we got to look into a different game for, for that we would yeah because uh, I've, I've never played much of 11 well um, I, I guess um a question that i would have about how magic works in this world or i, I guess aether um the way that people channel it and the way that it's used in Dungeons and Dragons, which you know, I'm always going to refer to that, that's my bread and butter for talking mm, about yeah. magic. You know, you've got relics and artifacts that have, you know, maybe they were made from a, a deity or a magical force or just, you know, channeled, channeled magic into creating this. Um, do you have important relics like that or is it more related to like one spirit and ability to channel the aether and how powerful they are and it's more of like a like a mental maturity of how well you can cast it there's a mix of both um there are some artifacts though they're not necessary to be like a good mage or just good at anything mm-hmm. um we do have a mechanic called a soul crystal that is basically crystallized ether from previous wielders of a certain job or class or something and you can give those to people and they can sort of pull the memories from that ether to make themselves better fascinating um but that actually takes a bit of natural talent 
some people just aren't cut out to be mages. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's a combination of, of natural talent plus training. Okay. Now with the, the, the requirements, so to speak, of being a mage or, you know, as you put them, artificer or, um, Mm -hmm. marauder, the, the different jobs, it sounds like it's similar to world of Warcraft in which, you know, you're this big hero, but you're not the only one that can do this stuff. You know, how many artificers are there? How many marauders are there, you know, uh, based off of the different types of classes, would you say? A lot. <laughs> A lot. Hmm. So the Warrior of Light is one of the only people in canon that can take up jobs as opposed to cla- or take up classes as opposed to jobs. Might be, I might have that backwards, actually. Whatever, one of the ways. Um, so Marauder, for example, is a base. Mm-hmm. And just about anybody can learn to do it. Um, although there is natural affinity, we have a whole storyline of Taru Taru, uh, Tataru trying to learn to become an arcanist. And her carbuncle just refuses to listen to Tataru her. was the cleric? Uh, she's your clerk in, uh, in the Scions. Okay, okay. Um... She she attempts to become an arcanist, and her, her carbuncle just refuses to listen to her. She's just not good at it. <laughs> uh, but the Warrior of Light can take up a soul crystal and, and harvest those memories to become a job. And uh, that's like marauders become warriors. Uh, and, and they can sort of harness their inner rage and become much stronger than a marauder could but not everybody can do that okay gotcha so a lot more people can do the baseline but Uh it takes whether it's natural affinity or or years of training to excel beyond that right so for example in uldah um there is the thaumaturgist guild and that is just about teaching people the art of black magic out of context a little sketchy (laughs) (laughs) it's real sketchy it's run by a a group of lalafell sextuplets what six lalafell thaumaturges all brothers and they yeah they run the show they train people and the thing about black magic is that it's kind of inherently self-destructive um, hmm. They don't become full-fledged black ma- black mages because that's forbidden magic. It's oh, just really? too dangerous. That's fascinating. So y- you can, so it-, it sounds like it's a class that, at its maximum, is still limited in what you can do. The Warrior of Light has been pushing it to very dangerous levels, but we're the Warrior of Light. We can handle it. Uh, but a, a hmm. lesser black mage would have probably died from doing what we're doing. Wow. So is there anything in particular? Is it almost like that um, that plague that, you know, d- diseased your lungs? Or is it just you know, an overload and you just combust into flames? Yeah, it's sort of how it, it plays with your own ether. Hmm. Like... Um, you you pull ether from elsewhere to cast spells, but it does sort of affect your own internal ether. And uh, black mages can pull some of their power from the void. So the it's, void. 
Yeah, the the void is, you know, you know the twisting nether in WoW. Yeah, yeah. It's like that. It's just this vast sea of darkness, and there are extremely powerful demons and stuff that live there. Uh, huh. Yeah, and black mages can sort of tap into that for some of their power, but it is addictive oh. and self-destructive. Okay, and so it's a very slippery slope of mm-hmm. you're, you're being tempted to open the gate a little bit more and a more each time. More. Yeah. And then just eventually it, it gets to be too much and you can't hold back the force. It's, it's almost like the, the inside is hyper-pressurized. Yeah. And you're trying to contain that pressure. Yeah. And then if you go too far, some void scent just scoops up your tasty soul. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> that That's interesting, because my thought before you explained it was going to be that, you know, the, the way you've described channeling Aether, you say that, okay, so you, you pull the Aether from someplace. Mm-hmm. Like and Aether. Yeah, just the residential Aether that's around you in the, in the world. Mm-hmm. From what I was expecting, you start pulling it and then to try and do more and more powerful magic, it would almost be like, um, what was it, the the, the leap or, or the teleportation that you were telling me about? Oh, where uh, you flow, just kind of, yeah. yeah, I pictured it almost like flow where you're surrounding yourself and, and your own energy with all of this aether and you would just kind of get lost and, and disperse all at once. But mm. that sounds so much scarier than just getting lost in the ether. I mean, I so final fantasy 14 has demons too now oh yeah oh yeah wow the void scent the void scent so when, when it comes to casting magic it's important that mages pull their ether from somewhere else because the the majority of eorzeans don't have internal wells of ether that are deep enough to consistently cast magic Um, It's why teleportation isn't super common outside of Mm -hmm. the Warrior of Light. It's just too taxing on the body's internal ether that you might wind up using too much and injuring yourself. Wow. That's some heavy stuff. So to to put in perspective about Black Mages, right, and why... Oh, squeaky chair, sorry. Uh, Why they, uh, they don't really train them like that Part of it is because it's self-destructive, and secondly, it's if they become too powerful and go rogue, they're really hard to stop. You know, that makes sense. That is, you know, come to think of it, that seems like a trope for fantasy that I hadn't really pictured as a trope before. But the whole, the the temptation of power and the, the corruption of that, you know, it's almost like an analog to to greed and money, but with magic. Yeah, you know, if if you have all the money in the world, like Godbert, which how is he a good guy with that much money? That that seems crazy. You have so much capability to change the world as you see fit, and with magic, I mean, you just take out the middleman. You don't have to pay anyone to change the world for you. You can just do it yourself. Yeah, like the the Thaumaturges Guild. When you're training, when they they teach you an ability at one point called Mana Ward, that uh, protects you from taking damage. It's like absorbs a set amount of damage. And they, they tell you, like, we don't teach this spells to the rookies. And you're like, oh, why not? And they're like, well, it makes them really hard to kill. <laughs> 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 it's, 
so they they know they can read the writing on the wall they, they know they have they get some people there that are just hungry for power and they they want to turn into to bandits or something and they're like no 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 that's not how this works it's, it's sometimes you, you get some some bad little hobbits and you gotta take care of the taters you know yeah it, it's all part of the magic <laughs> that's that's so cool though so can, can we talk about more of the classes soon because this it, oh yeah I, I love learning about the the different races but it seems like some of them are more closely tied to certain classes than others mm-hmm. yeah so uh the next race we'll wind up talking about um the elizen they the, actually the elves, have right hmm? uh, the, basically the elves yeah. right they're just elves. Okay. Uh, they actually have a a sort of like secondary race within their region. It, it, it's a race in itself, but it's more of a uh, of a mutation, I guess, of uh, of here. And hmm. they are the only race, aside from the Warrior of Light, that can canonically be a white mage. Whoa. Yep nobody okay. else can do it gotcha well yeah so so we'll talk about the alizen and i'm assuming the white mages sure we'll cover gridania the twelves would uh sounds like a plan sweet i have no idea what that stuff is but <laughs> I, i'm pumped dude let's do it yeah it's gonna <laughs> well, be cool sweet well again thank you so much for for telling me about this wonderful information <laughs> about the law of fell i, I i'm them. I'm very curious to see what specific parts in the story they play going forward. Yeah. Yeah, when, once we set the base and then start talking about the plot. Yeah, yeah, of course. They're everywhere, man. Right, Can't get away well, from the lalas. <laughs> they're coming for you. <laughs> All right, well, we'll go ahead and wrap up here, and we will meet back up for episode three. Yeah, see you next time. All right, bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to our show. If you enjoyed it, consider following us on the platform you're on now. We'd love to hear your thoughts on what you want us to cover going forward. You can find us on Twitter at Moogles and Mages, or by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.